if you're joining us on the internet or one of our campuses, just so you know why, um, why I'm this excited. We just finished uh, witnessing baptisms here at the Bellingham campus. And I just love the imagery. I love the imagery when somebody walks in and says, because Jesus is my everything, he's burying my old life in his death by going under the water, and then he's raising me to new life through his resurrection. And that's what we celebrate when someone comes out of the water. The people who just got baptized preached the most powerful message of their life, and they just preached everything we've learned in the first two chapters of Colossians. They're just saying Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That was their message. I was blessed with two amazing grandpas. My grandpa Smith on my mom's side, he was a hardworking farmer. He lost his three middle fingers in, a, in an auger accident, which was not a pretty thing. And so my grandpa Smith had a built-in hang loose sign. And my family, to this day on my mom's side, when we say goodbye to each other, this is how we wave to each other because that's how Grandpa Smith waved to us. He was a man of wisdom, a man of his word, and I miss him. He told me once, Grant, the measure of a man is in how well he keeps his promises. I agree with that. That has stuck with me for a lot of years. My grandpa Fishbook was about four and a half feet tall. He went to school to second grade, graduated from second grade. He could speak nine languages fluently. And he went to the grave believing that the earth was flat. I still remember, we, for his birthday, we actually bought him a globe. That's what we bought him. And we brought it to him. And his, this was his comment. You get that evolution crap out of my house. That's what he said. <laughs> he was a simple man, but he was full of wisdom. I remember him saying this. Grant, you pray on your knees. You pray on your knees because it helps remind you who you are. And who you're talking to. He was short and funny, and I miss him. You know, wisdom is rare in our world today, but you know it when you hear it. And this week, Pastor Paul is going to give us some grandfatherly wisdom. The question for us is, are we wise enough to actually listen? Paul's been setting a foundation for us. Jesus plus nothing, and now he's going to build on top of that foundation. So as we talked about last week in church, let's get practical. He's just going to dive in and he's going to get right up in our face with all different kinds of thoughts and ideas and we're going to have an opportunity to process those through together. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. So just picture what you just saw. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Remember the imagery. You went under. For you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Okay, let's just get this from the very beginning, okay? This is not a plea for positive thinking, all right? Paul's not saying that you should walk out of church today and think about rainbows and butterflies and bubbles and balloons. People are like, ugh, Right? Okay, he's not talking about the secret where you're trying to draw stuff to yourself, which is not biblical, by the way, just so you know, okay? He's not talking about Oprah's latest brand of spirituality. That'll get me some emails, okay? Paul's not endorsing positive thinking at all. In fact, Paul's much more grounded than that. No, this is a plea for an eternal perspective. Paul's saying, because you died, your old life is gone, and you've been raised to a new life. Get your eyes off of the temporary, what you can see around you, and get your eyes on the eternal, because that will last. I mean, you don't, none of us want to hear this, but it's true. Your car is temporary. Your house is temporary. Your iPhone, temporary. Your laptop, 
temporary. Your Facebook status, temporary, right? Could change tomorrow. It's all going to go away. And Paul says, look, you need to understand this. The Bible says there are only three things that are eternal. God, God's word, and people. So put your eyes on the eternal, on what God has brought you out of and where he has placed you, and keep that perspective in mind. Invest your life in a relationship with God that will last for eternity. Invest your life in the word of God that will stand forever. Invest your life in introducing other people to the God who is eternal. If you invest in those three things, your life will have an incredible return. So Paul's just saying, prioritize with heaven in mind. Live with heaven in mind. Understand who you are and how God sees you. I mean, this is not a call. So many Christians take this as like, I'm going to put my mind on things above, which means I'm going to go home and I'm going to look after my family and I'm going to build a bomb shelter in the backyard and I'm going to put away a whole bunch of food in case doomsday actually comes. Paul is saying, don't turtle yourself at home. Engage in the world that God has placed you in and as a safeguard, get your eyes on the right stuff. Focus long term. Paul goes on in verse 5. Put to death, therefore. Ah, scary language. Stick with me. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Okay, those are strong words. Paul says that old stuff from your old life needs to die. Strong words. I have a very good friend who has waged a war on the grip that pornography has had in his life. He's experienced some victory. He's been walking pure and clean for an extended period of time. And I asked him, how did that work for you? And this is what he said, and I quote, God has given me the grace to starve it to death and the joy to hold an ongoing funeral. That's good. And Paul just says, that old stuff, you're going to have to kill it. And I know we don't like that kind of language, but that's what the Bible says. Sexual immorality, any expression of sexuality outside of God's plan, it's got to die. Impurity of the mind or your heart has to die. Lust has to die. Evil desires have to die. The green-eyed monster of envy, it has to die. Why? Is it punishment? Is because God's trying to steal all of our fun? Absolutely not. It's protection. God says, I'm a loving father. This stuff will leave you empty if you chase it. And God, our father, loves us so much, he says, you gotta, you're going to have to kill that old stuff. I love the fact that Paul gets to the root of the issue. He actually says, all of that is rooted in idolatry. So just so we're clear, idolatry is when we substitute anything for God. Immorality is a substitute for the real intimacy that God's designed. Evil desire is a substitute for godly desire. Greed is a substitute for contentment. Here's the problem with so many of us. This is, for years I did this, okay? I treated sin like weeds. And I kept thinking, as long as I took the top off, everything looked good. You know what I've learned about weeds as a homeowner and a lawn owner who's somewhat obsessive compulsive when it comes to the kind of lawn that he has? I've learned that if you take the top off a weed, give it two weeks, and guess what's back? Same weed. It just keeps coming up because we keep trying to lop off the top. We're doing image management. I live in Linden. I want everybody to think I know how to have a good yard, right? Because that's really important, isn't it? In light of eternity, it's a big deal, right? Paul says, you don't understand. Unless you dig out the root of that thing, 
it will keep coming back over and over and over again. Paul says the root of everything is anything that we put in our life that substitutes for God, it's got to die. That's what Paul's saying. In order to have a new life, your old life has to die. And it's tough and it gets tougher because the Bible continues on. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Can we just admit we love the loving side of God, don't we? We love the rainbows and the the bathrobe-wearing, feather-haired, smiling Jesus. That's who we like. We like Jesus who shows up and solves our problems and then leaves us alone and stays out of our way. Make no mistake, my friends, God is a God of both love and justice. And this is what's amazing about him. He's both of those completely at the same time. We think they're interchangeable, but it's not. God has a justice side that burns against the sin, that hurts his children. And the Bible tells us one day God's going to come back and he's going to balance the scales and evil will be wiped away. And while it may not be pretty, it will be awesome. Every human being in this room, including the guy with the microphone, someday down the road will meet God face to face. I have a question. Do you want to meet God in his grace or do you want to meet him in his justice? As a friend, pick grace. Pick grace. Paul keeps on talking. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with his practices. I do not like those verses because of how close it hits to home. I mean, can I just point out something about what Paul just talked to? Did anybody notice that all of the old ways are somehow connected to your mouth? All of them. I mean, just think about it for a second. Anger starts in your heart. Nothing wrong with that. There are some things that should make you angry. Injustice should make you angry. When you see someone being abused or hurt, that should make you angry. It should motivate you to want to get involved. There's nothing wrong with being angry at the right things. I'm angry every day at the sin that I just keep tripping up and over and over. It makes me angry. Nothing wrong with that. But there's something really wrong when the angle boils out of your heart, bypasses your brain, and comes shooting out of your mouth. The Bible says this, out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. So if filth is coming out of your mouth, I can tell you what's going on in your heart. And you can tell what's going on in mine. This is where it gets really personal, okay? Let's not make excuses. Let's just get real. Let's be honest about the fact that what drips off of our tongue is a reflection of where we really are spiritually. Rage released in the verbal never goes well. Slander, when we impugn somebody's character to make ourselves look better. Filthy language, cursing, gossip, racial slurs, demeaning judgment, all just come dripping off of our tongue. Filthy language. And just so you know, it includes, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Which means this. Filthy language would include, oh my God, this. And oh my God, that. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? What if they ans- What if he answered? Oh my God, yes. Right? But we treat it so lightly. I mean, do we have any idea whose name we're just throwing around? In fact, do me a favor. If you talk that way, could you stand about six feet away? Because I do not want to get caught in the zap. All right? Just saying. Okay? 
lying, substituting the truth for our spin on reality. I actually had to do it. So scripture talks about admonishing. I had to admonish our Saturday night service because last week we put up ropes in certain places at certain services because I like people to move forward so I can see your faces. You sit too far back. I can't see you back there. Hi, back row. I can see. Yeah, there you are. Awesome. They're waving. That's cool. All right. But last week we had people swearing at our ushers because they didn't like where the ropes were. What are you doing? We're in church. It doesn't fly in here. Most certainly not supposed to fly out there because we're supposed to be examples all of the time. I mean, Paul right here, he's just getting all up in, the, in our business. No wonder James says this. James, the brother of Jesus, said, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. How does that make you feel about your mouth? I mean, I'm like, wow. All of this talk about the mouth reminds me of some wisdom that I got a long time ago. Everybody remember Pastor Sam Middlebrook, big Texan with the guitar? Sam Pastor CTK Yakima now, just so you know. That came online just a couple weeks ago. Sam's dad, Charlie Middlebrook, is one of the wisest men that I've ever met. And I remember one time I said, Charlie, like, what's one of the most succinct pieces of wisdom you would give a pastor? He said this, Grant, actually I'll do it, Grant, never miss a glorious opportunity, you just shut up. <laughs> and all God's people said, amen. I mean, so Paul says, just get rid of it, it's got to go. And it's hard work. I've shared here so many times about how I grew up lying. That was my issue. I lied about everything. It became normal to me. And then God began to convict me. I ran into a verse that said, the God abhors lying lips. He hates it. So I asked God to make me a person who told the truth. And it was an ugly battle. God starved that evil part of me. And it was not fun. I'll be honest, I battle with it every single day. I have to pray every day. God, make me a man of truthful lips I had to learn how to tell the truth. I mean, it was embarrassing. I would be talking with people and I'd have to literally call a timeout in the middle of a conversation say, I have no idea why I just exaggerated that point to you, but I just lied to you. Could we back up again? Could I take another try at that? People are like, what is your problem? But that's the kind of work that it takes. I've not conquered it completely. Battle with it every single day. Reminds me of the words of Martin Luther. He said, when I came to Christ, I thought I had drowned the old man in me, only to find out the rascal could swim. <laughs> so here's my question. What's your deal? I just told you mine. What's your deal? If you're like, nothing, it's like, oh, you lie too. <laughs> Welcome to my club. Good to have you. Once again, here's the point. God wants us to release our old life so we fully grasp our new life. I mean, this is amazing. The Bible tells us that this old stuff in our life will be defeated when we have a greater desire to do what God wants than over what we used to do. I mean, the reality is this. I want to be truthful more than I want to lie. And that changes from a have to to a get to. Every day, I get to tell the truth. I get to speak respectfully. 
I get to deal with my anger. I get to speak words that bring life and not death. What an unbelievable privilege. And I'll tell you where that comes from. It doesn't come from anything that I can summon inside of myself. Because left to my own devices, I'm a liar. But when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to push that old stuff out and a greater desire begins to come into you to actually do what God wants you to do, there's such intense freedom there. The Bible goes on, verse 10, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. If you've got a pen, underline those words. That's the central thought of Colossians. Christ is all and in all. Let me tell you what Paul's saying here. He goes, there's no barriers in Jesus. At least there's not supposed to be. No special clubs, no religious elitism, no gender divisions, no socioeconomic divisions, no racial divides, no national divides. Now, all of us are equal, equal in need at the foot of the cross and equally embraced by God's incredible grace. I got to experience this the first time I went to Africa. I mean, I walk in and I'm out of my comfort zone, I'm out of my culture, and I'm greeted by a local pastor. And he walks over and he grabs a hold of my hands. And I love how they get beyond the pretense in Africa. He didn't say, hello, or how are you, or our famous way of greeting, so what do you do for a living? All of that was pushed to the side. He reached out and he grabs my hands. And before I can even say a word, he says this, we are brothers. We're brothers. Scripture says, indeed, we are Equal at the foot of the cross because we both need Jesus so desperately. Both need a Savior so desperately. Equal in need of the grace of God and equally given the grace of God. Which tells us something, right? Here's the learning moment. Followers of Jesus should be building bridges, not walls. I mean, now let's make sure we understand this. We're not talking about not bridges into a building. Not bridges into a personality cult. Not bridges into religious tolerance. No, we're talking about bridges into an eternal perspective that keeps our eyes on the right place, seated at the right hand, looking at Jesus, seated at the right hand of God our Father, and pointing everyone to the bridge that we all walked across in our journey of faith. When I look at my journey, I simply see this. Jesus seated at the right hand of God, coming out of His chair, and crossing the bridge of the cross so that he could call my name, so that when I finally got my head straight, I could run to him so that he could take me back across that bridge so that my mind could be seated on the beauty of who Jesus is and what he did to save my soul. It's my picture. Pastor Paul wraps up. This is good. Okay, I'm just going to read the Bible to you. And I, just listen to these incredible words from Paul. Therefore, okay? If you're a good Bible student, you'll be able to answer this, right? Every time you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask what it's, what it's there for, okay? What's it there for? So now, don't forget, this is Paul's plea. Don't forget everything else I've talked to you about. First two chapters of Colossians, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Christ is all and in, in, in all. In Jesus, everything is held together. All things are held together because Christ is supreme. So don't forget that. And then he says this, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's how God feels about you today, just so we're clear. 
Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So Paul just said, we're going to take off a bunch of old stuff. And I don't want you standing there embarrassed. So we're going to put on some new stuff. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Just so you know, people who clothe themselves with those five beautiful character qualities stick out like a sore thumb in this, in this culture. When you're compassionate, it makes you different. When you're humble, it makes you different. Verse 13, bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So let's get practical. Because our mind is set on heavenly things. Because we know all this stuff, someday it's all going away. And all we'll have is that beautiful relationship between us and God. Because we know all of that, let's put some stuff on. Humility, compassion. Gentleness, kindness. It's interesting that some of those are a reflection of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Whatever God's doing deep inside of us, that's what the old stuff is getting pushed away. I told you last week about my little run-in with the guy at the fast food counter. It was so cool. Grant, I got saved at Easter, Christ the King. And none of these people can figure out why I'm not swearing anymore. He doesn't even know the verse yet. God's doing something deep inside of him. That old stuff, it's just lost its attraction. It doesn't, it doesn't fill anymore. It needs to be replaced. And Paul just breaks it down. He says this, imitate the compassion of Jesus and forgive. You know, in the middle of the crucifixion, if you were here on Good Friday, we heard that Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay, just so we're clear, even though we weren't there physically, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, that included us. Because our sin nailed Christ to the cross, mine included. And Paul says, if you've been forgiven, forgive. If you were a part of them, forgive. And I see the responses every time I talk about forgiveness. Yeah, well, they didn't ask it. Did you have an opportunity to ask before Jesus said that over you while he was being crucified? I didn't. Jesus says, be the first to forgive, whether they ask or not. Be set free in that. I mean, I don't ever remember Jesus waiting for me to ask. He was just there with forgiveness. Here's the second response I see all the time when I talk about forgiveness. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. And we did? 
And we deserved, no, God gave us what we didn't deserve, grace and mercy. Here's the tough part of following Jesus. God only calls us to forgive to the same level that it took for him to forgive us. For me, that's a really big pile. Paul goes on, he says, allow love to guide every word, every thought, and every deed. So whether you have the best week of your life coming up, here's my question. What's the most loving response? If you have the worst week of your life in the next seven days, what's the most loving response? Because in that response, we find out where we're really at as God comes and begins to recondition our soul. Then Paul goes on and says, choose God's peace. He says, may the peace of God rule in your heart. You have to make a decision every day to allow God's peace to saturate your soul. I experience it. I know you guys get tired of me talking about Costco, but it's just such a great spiritual picture, right? You're in the line and you're waiting. And you're thinking, let them all die. <laughs> Paul says, wrong prayer. God, would you give me peace? I've got a moment sitting in my car. Maybe I just need to turn off the radio and we could have that conversation that we should have had this morning when I got up. God, thank you for just giving a time out in the middle of my day so that I could think about the things that are eternal, not temporary. This line, it's temporary. I'm going to get through it. Maybe 2014 sometime. I will emerge from the gas line, but... Right? Then Paul says, be thankful. Be thankful. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you thanked God for something other than food or safety? Let's just think about it. When was the last time you thanked God for a trial because it forced you to practice what you preach? How about thanking God for pain? How about thanking God for His patience with us when we're in pain? How about thanking God for loving us enough to give us what we need instead of just what we want? How about thanking God for not giving us what any of us deserve? How about thanking God for all the times that He covered you and we never gave it a second thought to say thanks? Then Paul goes on and he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means marinating God's truth. Let it soak in. Let it work its way into the deepest part of your soul so when you're squeezed, that's what comes erupting out of your mouth. Not blankety blank, 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 blank. Paul's talking about real life stuff here. A group of pastors, we got to pray with a young hero from our church who's been fighting a battle all on his own. And we showed up at the house to pray with him. And I started reading from my Bible. And this middle school kid goes, Psalm 91. He nailed it. I got one verse in. He knew exactly. He got squeezed. And you know what came out? Bible. Middle school student. Got squeezed. What came out? Bible. Middle school students, thank you for being such an amazing example to the rest of us. Paul goes on. Worship is an audience of many for an audience of one. Bible says here, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all three are there. And yes, they are all equal. You know, I'm just amazed. Every time we talk about worship, I'm amazed and just shake my head. As soon as we talk about worship, people start talking about personal preference. I like this. I don't like that. I'm just wondering, just thinking out loud here. When we talk about worship that way, isn't the more important question, what does Jesus like? Some of you are like, he likes hymns. Yeah. 
Actually, can I tell you what he likes according to Scripture? He likes it when God's people open their voice and engage and give glory to him no matter what kind of style is attached to it. Ah, a couple amens. That's what he likes. And I don't know about you, but because I'm worshiping God, I think what he likes should probably determine what it is that I like. And then Paul goes on, be thankful. There it is again. And then he says, live as God's ambassador, which means when you clothe yourself this way, you are never not an example. Never not an example. And then he says, honor Jesus in everything. I checked out the Greek. Those of you that are around, you know where I already know where I'm going. The Greek word for everything means everything. It's what it means. Honor Jesus in everything. And finally, Paul says it again. Be thankful. Now, as we get ready to wrap up, okay, and we're done right now. Okay, we did everything on the front end of the service, so there's no last song. So when I say amen in a couple of minutes, we are seriously out of here. Uh, we're going to enter into the most holy moment of the week when the church actually leaves the building and goes out there to interact with people who don't know Jesus. Okay, but before we get there, here's my plea. Paul's been screaming this all the way through through the first two chapters. Don't turn this into a to-do list. Because some of you are like, I get it. No porn, no lust, no sexual immorality. Got it. I'll give it my best shot. Some of you are on the other side. Humility, check. I'm completely humble. (laughs) Totally patient. Kindness, got it down. Did something nice last week. Paul's like, no. No, 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 no. Don't turn it into a have to. You get to live free this week because of Jesus. So freely live. Live with purity, just spewing out of your mouth because you get to. Live with a clear conscience because you're not driven by your male desire if you're a guy to go to a computer and get your needs met with the click of a mouse. You get to wrap yourself in compassion. You get to forgive Because Jesus forgave you. Because of my position in Christ and your position in Christ, I'm no longer bound to my old life. I got a new life and a new beginning. My question is this. If we died to our old life, why do we keep running back to it? What keeps drawing us back? I'll tell you what keeps us drawing us back. The opposite of Jesus keeps drawing us back. That's why Paul says, set your mind on things above. Keep your focus there eternally. And watch God do this radical transformation of your soul from the inside out. From Jesus plus whatever I attach to it to Jesus plus nothing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning, for my brothers and my sisters. I thank you for those who were baptized. We give you all glory and honor and praise for the work that you're doing here in this little corner of your kingdom. Jesus, this is your church. It's your time. We're your people, and we celebrate that. Lord, may our mind be on things that are above and not on temporary things. 
Father God, may we live this week under the banner, Jesus plus nothing. I need nothing aside from Jesus. And may you be the author of everything that's put off and everything that is put on because you alone are worthy of that kind of praise. And all God's people agreed together and were dismissed with a hearty amen and amen. May God bless you as you have a great week. We'll see you.